Welcome, friends. So glad to have you along with us for the Word for Everyday Disciples with Dave DeSelm, a weekly podcast that brings biblical teaching to everyday people in ways we can understand and put into practice. I'm your host, Gwen DeSelm, and our teacher is Dave DeSelm. Dave spent over 40 years in pastoral ministry and was the founding senior pastor of a church called Fellowship in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Currently, he is the executive director of Dave DeSelm Ministries, offering help and hope to everyday pastors through coaching and other resources. You can find out more about us at davedeselmministries.org. Recently, I had lunch with a new friend. I was moved and inspired as she told me her story. After having three children and adopting another with special needs, she found herself pregnant again, just 10 months after the last baby. But baby number five came early, way too early. He was a micro preemie and as a result, developed cerebral palsy. I mean, you talk about overwhelmed by life. It would have been easy for her to fall into despair and self-pity. But this mom looked at this not as a barrier to her happiness, but as a doorway of opportunity. As a result, she has taught and served and advocated for other families dealing with disabilities. Friends, how do you view the challenges in your life? Are they brick walls or open doors? Well, as we continue our series on the seven churches of Revelation, we come to a church that faced this very question. Let's see what Jesus had to say to them and to us. Let's take our Bibles in hand, shall we, and open them up once more to the very end, the book of Revelation. Chapter 3 is where we'll drop anchor. And as you're making your way there, let me kickstart your thinking by asking you this trivia question. How many doors do you think there are in our current facility? How many doors? All right, whole facility, how many doors? I want you to give it a thought for just a moment and turn to the person next to give them your best guess. How many doors do you think there are in our current facility? Okay, do you make a guess? How many of you guess between 50 and 100? Okay, how many of you guess between 101 and 150? How many of you guessed between 151 and 200? How many of you guessed over 200? There are over 210 doors in our building. I know, I've counted them this past week. I just <laughs> got a lot of time on my hand. And <laughs> the reason why I mention that to you is because the last two of the churches that Jesus wrote letters to in the book of Revelation, both of them had to do with doors. Before one church, there was this open door of opportunity before the other church, there was this closed door of opportunity. So he has a word to us about doors. And today, we're going to look at this church of the open door. The church at Philadelphia. Call them the Enduring Church. Well, the church at Philadelphia, not Philadelphia, PA, but Philadelphia, Turkey, was the youngest of the seven. The city was only 100 years old. It had been founded by a king of Pergamum who named this city in honor of his beloved brother. As many of you know, Philadelphia literally means the, the city of what? Brotherly love. And it was named uh, out of a sense of brotherly love that he had for his sibling. So we now have a church here. It was quite small, however. But though relatively small in size, this church had a huge opportunity that lay before it. 
It was located at a key intersection. From this area, roads would go to all of the other kingdoms in the, in the Asian plateau, Mysia, Lydia, Phrygia. It was considered the gateway to the plateau. And here's where the city was, and here's where the church was planted. And in light of that strategic location, Jesus gave them a very unique message, beginning in verse 7 of chapter 3. Have you found it? To the angel of the church of Philadelphia write, These are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut. What he shuts, no one can open. I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door. Now back in that day, doors symbolized two things. Either doors helped keep something out, or doors symbolized something you could walk through. And there's this latter that was, Jesus was using here. He's saying, in effect, this. You have an opportunity here that is unprecedented. Notwithstanding your size, notwithstanding what others may say about you, you have a chance to expand and extend the kingdom of God in remarkable ways. Literally, you can be a missionary church and have extraordinary kingdom impact. Jesus wanted these believers to recognize that they were in the threshold of a significant breakthrough. Now, the optimism that the Savior had is rather surprising when you consider that these people who lived here were very simple folks. The movers and the shakers had already moved to the major cities in the plateau, Ephesus, Pergamum, Laodicea. Just simple, plain people were left in Philadelphia. All that was left was them. And yet Jesus gave these people this remarkable statement. I know you. I know you have little strength, he said here. Why would that be? Well, it goes beyond the relative small size of the church. The little strength has to do with the fact that in 17 AD, now the letter would have been received in 90. So just a few decades earlier, a massive earthquake had leveled the city. So great was the fear and so frequent were the aftershocks that the city of Philadelphia never really was rebuilt. Nothing is left of Philadelphia. The earthquakes are that severe. It's that seismic. Because of this fear, many of the people chose not to rebuild their houses. Rather, they lived in shacks out by their vineyards, and rightfully so. Most of these people here raised grapes. The wine at Philadelphia was known worldwide, and this led to a second problem. The Roman emperor at this time, a man named Domitian, was totally self-serving. About the time this letter was received, he declared an edict whereby 50% of Philadelphia's vineyards had to be dug up, with grain being planted. Now, this soil was great for grapes. It was terrible for grain. It was an economic disaster. You say, why would the emperor do this? Historians believe that he did it because the wine around Philadelphia was so great that it was taken away from the market around Rome where Domitian had his own vineyards. It was a business decision. Ruin their economy, supply and demand, my economy grows. Thus it was, these people, many of them homeless, others with wrecked economies, and this was before he became a Christian. Uncertainty and insecurity marked the people of Philadelphia. Now there's something you need to understand. 
In that Asian plateau, many Jewish people had migrated there. In fact, I discovered this week, the largest synagogue of antiquity was in the city of Sardis. Up to 3,000 people could gather there. Big Jewish migration. Early on in the history of Christianity, it was considered to be a sect or an offshoot of Judaism. And as such, it enjoyed some of the protection that the Jewish people enjoyed. Because there were so many Jewish people there, because of the political clout, they received protection. There were certain exemptions from taxes. There were certain uh, laws. For example, if you stayed in the synagogue, you did not have to burn incense to Caesar. As the years began to go by, Christianity began to more and more compete against Judaism. More and more Jewish people recognized Jesus as the true Messiah. And when that happened, things began to get dicey. Ultimately, all the Christians were kicked out of the synagogue. All their names were stricken from the rolls. Now they had lost all the protection, all the rights, and all the privileges that the Jewish people had. They were helpless. Now you can see what verses 7 to 9, how they come to life. Take a look. These are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut. This is alluding to how the synagogue door was shut in their face. What he opens, no one can shut. What he shuts, no one can open. I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. And I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews, they they aren't really the people of God, though they are not, but are liars, I will make them come ultimately and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. Now, as you look at this thing right here, you need to understand the people of Philadelphia suffered greatly. But you must understand something else. They also suffered well. And there's a big difference that we would do well to understand together this morning. There is a difference between simply suffering and suffering well. In this broken, fallen world, there is not a person in this room who will not suffer. Some of you more, some of you less. Every person here will suffer greatly. The time will come when you get the phone call in the night. The time will come when you get the knock on the door. The time will come when the pink slip appears, when the police officer pulls up, when the x-ray has bad news. It will happen. Here's the issue. When it does, will you suffer well? Will you suffer well? See, see, not everybody who suffers suffers well. Explain it this way. You talk with a guy who you know really well, and for years he would have really been fired up for the Lord. But over the past months, you've seen he's been a real coolness in his relationship with God. He doesn't come to church much anymore and won't take too many phone calls. Finally, you pin him down. You say, hey, man, what's going on? I don't see much of you anymore. No, I'm not around much anymore. Why? What happened? And he kind of shoots you a look and says, I'll tell you what happened. For 12 years, I poured myself into this business. 12 years, I worked hard. I prayed like crazy. I tithed faithfully. 
I treated my employees with dignity and respect. In the last 12 months, the whole thing has gone belly up. I've lost everything. I've lost everything. I've had to sell. I've had to close the doors. You got to know something. If that's what it means to follow Christ, if that's all the more that prayer gets you, you know what? I'm done. I'm done. In contrast, you talk with a guy, and he appears, another guy, and he appears to be more fired up than ever. And you talk to him, and you say, man, what gives with you? And he said, that's been quite, quite a year. Said, Tell me about it. Well, I built my business for 12 years, he says. I served God faithfully. I paid my tithes regularly. I treated my employees with equity. 12 years I poured myself in that, and in the last 12 months, the whole thing's gone belly up. I can't get any loans. The financing's done. We're going to close the doors. But I had to make a choice. Either God is good or he's not. Either I can trust him or I'm not. And I determined that I was not going to allow this push me away from God. I was going to let it push me to God. And I can tell you that in the last 12 months, I wouldn't, run, I wouldn't ask anybody to face what I face, but I have never been closer to Jesus Christ than I have in these last 12 months. Two men, both lost their businesses. One, the loss pushed him away. One, the loss pushed him too. See, there's a difference between simply suffering and suffering well. You're listening to The Word for Everyday Disciples with Dave DeSelm. Dave will continue his message in just a moment. If you're enjoying this podcast, Please take a moment to rate, review, and subscribe, and then help others find us by sharing this podcast with your friends and family. If you'd like to support us in this ministry, just go to davedeselministries.org and click on the Donate button. Well, Dave and I are excited about what God is doing with Dave DeSelm Ministries, and we'd like to invite you to follow us on that journey by signing up to receive our weekly update. Get the latest DDM news and a personal word from Dave sent to your email inbox each Monday. You can subscribe to the weekly update on our website, davedesalmministries.org. Now let's return to Dave and the rest of today's teaching. Here's something I discovered. Suffering can either be a greenhouse where faith grows, or it can be a desert where faith dies. And you choose. You choose. Will it be a greenhouse where your faith grows? Or will it be a desert where your faith goes to die? It's not just in financial loss. I can tell you, I've seen it. In 35 years of ministry, I've seen it in relational loss. A woman contracts cancer. Great champion of faith. I mean, she's a player. And people are horror-stricken to realize that she has serious cancer. They decide to fight for life. They take her to all the best doctors. They give her all the best medication. They access the best hospitals. Hundreds of people fast and pray. The elders come and anoint her multiple times. Faith rises. And within 12 months, she's dead. And her husband says, you know what? She loved God like few others. She served the Lord like few others. 
We did everything we could. We prayed our guts out. If that's all the further prayer gets me, if that's all the good God is to those I love, you know what? You can just have this Jesus thing. I'm done. I'm done. Or a woman contracts cancer. And people are just horror-stricken because she's such an amazing woman of faith. Why her? Why her? But they determine they're going to fight for her life. She attends all the best hospitals, gets all the best doctors' help all the best medications, hundreds of people fast and pray. The elders come and anoint her multiple times, and within 12 months, she dies. And her husband, with tear-filled eyes, says, I don't understand that at all, and I miss her every day. But I have determined that my God does all things well. And there still is a plan. And one day I'll understand this, and beyond that I'll see her again. And I'm choosing not to run from God, but to run to God. See, it's your choice. Suffering can either be a greenhouse where your faith thrives, or it can be a desert where your faith goes to die. This is what it was like for the believers in Philadelphia. They were struggling so, but they were suffering well. Here's the deal. We tend to think that our greatest platform to exhibit A testimony for Christ is when we win. You know what I've discovered? Good winners are a dime a dozen. Could it be that the greatest testimony you'll ever have is not when you declare your victories, but how you declare your defeats and how you handle your losses? Because you see, then it's when the supernatural kicks in and people say, I don't know how you do it and I don't know what you have, but I want a little bit of that. The testimony that we can have, only God can send a message out of a mess. And only God can give a testimony out of a test. He can. We could rise by the dozens this morning and say, you know what? Out of that mess, oh, what a message was given to my coworkers. Oh, what a message was given to my family who were far from God. And out of that test, oh, what a testimony was mine. It's possible for us to be at our best when life is at its worst, when we're crushed and betrayed and abandoned and disappointed. We will all suffer. It is a cup we will all drink from. Jesus says there's an open door for you, but I think this is not only an open door of opportunity, it's also an open door of welcome. Again, these folks had had the door of the synagogue slammed in their face. And he says, you know what? When there's a door slammed in your face, you need to know something. You're always welcome with me. You're always welcome with me. You've got a home with me. And what I've shut, no one can open. When I've opened, what I've opened, no one can shut. They may have pushed you away. They may have pushed you out. But you'll always have a home with me. I don't know what kind of doors have been slammed in your face. Maybe it's the door of marriage. Maybe the door of one time having kids. Maybe the door of your financial dreams, maybe the door of your career opportunities, but it's like the doors have all been slamming your face. And Jesus says, you know what? I'll open one for you. There's a place for you with me. And no one's ever going to shut that door in your face. There's a second word of encouragement here besides that open door, and it's noted in verse 11. I'm coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one can take your crown. So what's that mean? Because of how it's phrased, I don't think this is the crown of salvation because no one can take that crown from you. 
So it has to be another kind of crown. Call it the crown of faithfulness. The same word is used for the laurel wreath that was given the runners who completed the races back then. And you can lose that one or you can win that one. It's the faithful runners who got the crown. They didn't give up. They didn't give in. They didn't give out when things got tough. Never let anybody steal your crown. I remember that line after more than 40 years. I was a brand new Christian. Didn't know much except I loved Jesus. But I also loved a real special girl. We were planning on getting married. But she was on a different spiritual trajectory than me. She knew it. And I knew it. The man who led me to Christ knew that I was not in the mood to hear any sermons. I was defensive about this. I'd rationalize why I could make it work. But deep down inside, I knew we're going different ways. On one occasion, he put his hand on my shoulder and he said, Dave, never let anybody steal your crown. I never forgot that word. And the relationship was ended. And I would say to some of you who are hearing my voice, either in this room or online, don't you ever let anybody steal your crown. Make the hard choice. Make the tough call. Do the right thing. Stay faithful. Don't you let anybody steal your crown. The people of Philadelphia heard that word. And they stood tall. Hold on, he said to them, hold on. I find it striking that of all the seven churches, only two receive no condemnation. The two churches that receive no correction and no condemnation are the church at Smyrna and the church at Philadelphia, the two churches that suffered the most. See, suffering has this purging capacity. Suffering is what refines gold. None of us want it, but all of us need it. It's only in the furnace of affliction. It's only when we suffer that the dross is taken away and the beauty of the gold is shown to be for what it is. I love the words of that old sage, A.W. Tozer. It's doubtful if God can use a man greatly until he hurts him deeply. It's doubtful if God can use a man greatly until he hurts him deeply. Because only then does the dross go away and the gold appear. It's never fun. It's never easy. But oh, the results are amazing. Finally, in verse 12, those who were victorious, I'll make pillars in the temple of my God. They'll never have to leave that. What's that mean? Well, Pillars in that day were made to be earthquake-proof. Typically, everything else would fall except the pillars. What's Jesus saying? You will grow in your capacity to stand in the future as you are faithful in the present. As your spiritual muscles continue to be increased through your suffering, you will gain greater and greater strength because earthquakes will still come, and some of them will be big time 
But for you who've learned to stand today, you will have enough capacity for tomorrow. And I'll write you my name upon them. And this has to do with this whole idea of the home that is yet to come when God's presence will be with us. And alluding to the very end of Revelation where it says here, the city of my God, the new Jerusalem is coming down. And it's at that time that the great family reunion will happen. And we'll see those loved ones and we'll have those answers. And every tear will be wiped away and the crowns will be given out. And so he says to the people, of Philadelphia. Hold on. Hold on. And that's about the best I can say to some of you right now, because I can't explain why you're suffering the way you are. I can't give you. I'm done with giving trite cliches. I don't know. I can't imagine how hard it is. Hold on. Hold on. It won't be forever. And the time is coming when you hear the words, welcome home. In short, what you stand to gain as you endure suffering will far eclipse whatever you may have lost. It'll be worth it. It'll be worth it. There's a watching world, and you can have a message out of your mess, and you can have a testimony out of your test, You can't stop the suffering. But you can decide to suffer well. And you can determine that your suffering is going to be a greenhouse for growth and not a desert for death. Heavenly Father, I can't imagine what those saints of Philadelphia went through. But the whisper of the Spirit to them and to us, hold on, hold on, You have a door of opportunity before you. There's a broken, battered world that's desperately looking for hope. And they may not see it with how you win, but how you lose. We know we can't stop the suffering. By your grace, may we suffer well. For Jesus' sake, in his kingdom. Thank you so much for joining us for The Word for Everyday Disciples with Dave DeSelm. If you'd like to let Pastor Dave know how this message has blessed you, send him an email at dave at davedeselmministries.org. Then join us next time as we look to God's Word for help and hope as we follow Jesus every day.